morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our 18th episode of The Artful Nutmeg. This week, we invite you to take a deep dive with us into one of the most storied clubs of English football. Today, we're talking about Newcastle United, a club rich with history that's undergoing a renaissance this season with manager Eddie Howe at the helm. They've been around for nearly 130 years, so there's a ton of history to cover. If you're not familiar with the Magpies, we hope you will consider them as a favorite club to follow. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? Well, you know, uh, it's I've I've fully become indoctrinated into the Taylor Swift um, kingdom, uh, the the heaven on earth in which she sort of inhabits is is very much uh, something I'm in right now, just because uh, I I. Or I went to the Taylor Swift movie with with the misses, and it was a really good time. Ah, there you go. Uh, you know, it was funny when they when the reputation set hit. Um, I gotta say, so I was originally supposed to go uh, with her to Minneapolis, but there's a whole story with her and her sister, and I gave up my ticket so she her sister should could go along. And I was sitting in the theater and that reputation set hit and I felt regrets for it. So I, you know, uh, yeah, it, it looked like a good show. I'm, I'm kind of glad that like th- it came out in movie for the form. So I got to see it in, in a certain way there, but, um, this is obviously a football, uh, podcast and I don't know, I'm trying to inject some Taylor into it. But I wish she had like decided to go out with like a, a, a Ben White or, you know, a John Stones or something. And like we actually had that conversation, my friends oh and my I. Oh my god, it just like <laughs> you know, like hey, football is okay, but it's it's a three hour commercial with football interruptions. Like come come yeah. to some real football <laughs> over here where yeah, anyways, I I'm a little bummed that the the wrong kind of football is is getting some legitimacy now. So, oh, well, we'll just kind of toil as the world sport at the moment. <laughs> there you go. It'll, it'll never be the world sport. <laughs> Not when footies around. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, how have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Obviously, watching footy, we've been on an international break for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I w- I've been watching some games. I got to see England beat Italy, which was fantastic. Um, given in the same stadium that they beat us in the Euro final, which we'll we'll be talking about the Euros later in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also watched uh, USA Ghana, yeah. which was amazing for if you're a US fan, uh, especially Gene Gio Reyna getting two goals. Mm-hmm. Balogun just did you, did, lighten it up. Balogun is already like eighth on the top scorers yeah. list. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I mean, he's having a great start. Um, yeah, Landon who? So that's that's definitely nice to see. Landon who, exactly. <laughs> Balogun from, from London yeah. is the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm I'm all about it. I, the U.S. always needs a striker, so... But I'm I'm definitely excited uh, to get into this episode. I think Newcastle is one of those clubs that most people kind of those who are familiar with footy always remember them for their or not say remember them always know them for their black and white uh, mm-hmm. shirts. You know that black and white home shirt. But you know they're a very storied club. 
which I'm excited for us to get into. And they are making waves at the moment in terms of uh, what's happening. So I'm excited to get into that. Yeah. So last week we touched on it a little bit, talking about their uh, four to one absolute routing of Paris Saint-Germain. So uh, in Champions League football. So that is super cool to see. Um, but you know what? We'll start this off with some straight facts about uh, Newcastle uh, United or Newcastle United is an English Premier League club hailing from Newcastle upon Tyne, which is a historically significant city in the upper northeast part of England. Uh, over its history, the club has been a member of the Premier League for all but three years of the competition's history sp- and spent uh, 91 seasons competing in top flight football as of 2023. They currently hold the ninth spot for the total trophies won by an English club. They have won four league titles, six FA Cups, and an FA Charity Shield, as well as the 1968-69 Intercities Fairs Cup uh, episode coming about uh, up about that. Um, but anyways, uh, famous Newcastle United fans include Sting. Former uh, Prime Minister Tony Blair and ACDC's frontman Brian Johnson. Um, what you when you when you first put Sting, I thought you meant the wrestler oh. Sting, and I was like, I was like, he's a Newcastle fan. <laughs> I was like, that's confusing. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so being that you are the the true Englishman, uh, for he is an Englishman. Tom Ferguson, uh, you know, what 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 else can you tell us about Newcastle sort of off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go too much into detail and I have to be careful as one of my friends is a true uh, is a true uh, man from Newcastle. So I have to be very careful about what I say. Um, you know, Newcastle, as I was saying before, is. One as one of the oldest clubs in you know England, they've been around since I want to say eight, 1892, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. Their stadium was built on a hill on upon Tyne. They have one of the craziest, most loyal fan bases I've ever seen, which is really cool to see because they're in a Champions League group, which we touched on last episode. That has two other teams that have amazing fan bases, AC Milan and Dortmund. Um, they're always the guys when you watch their games and they do snippets into the crowd of just guys with like their shirts off with massive bellies mm-hmm. with just like the Newcastle crest tatted on, <laughs> on their stomach. <laughs> it was absolutely kills me. Um, yeah, they're, you know, they've recently been through a takeover, which we'll get through. Um and yeah, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but they they're a very interesting club. My dad has a lot of respect for them, especially. <laughs> yeah. And so kind of going into like that that early history of the club, uh, what wh- what can you say about that? Yeah, so we have to think about the first days of football in Tyneside date all the way back to 1877. A year later, Newcastle's first football club, Tyne Association, was formed. Now, Newcastle United's earliest days date back to November 1881. Next year, the team was named Newcastle East End FC in 1889. Newcastle East End became a professional team. There was a rivalry between Newcastle East End and Newcastle West End 
that existed throughout the 1880s. However, in 1892, Newcastle West End succumbed to financial troubles and was dissolved. Consequently, Newcastle East End took on several of West End's players and backroom staff, effectively merging the two clubs. And that's how you get Newcastle United. It's funny that a lot of teams actually end up like that, where Mm -hmm. it's just smaller teams. You know, like you have, you would have like Manchester North, Manchester South, but now we have Manchester City. Yeah. Um, but like they would merge and that's how you would end up. That's why so many of these teams have united at the end of their team name. Just a little fun fact. And then next. Come- oh, I'm sorry. And then Major League. No, go ahead. Uh, then Major League Soccer started and they were like, yeah, these names sound cool. And then let's let's name yeah. <laughs> Real Salt Lake. DC United. Who did DC United unite with? We don't know the dips. Back in the t- they absorb the diplomats. Me, I don't know. That's the justification I could come up with. My head. But, but keep going. I'm sorry. I just had to kind of come in with that. Yeah, honestly, they just make it up as they go yeah. in the MLS. They're just like, yeah, that sounds dope. Let's use that one. Sorry, continue on. So next up, the club faced the choice of joining the Football League's second division or staying in the Northern League. Officials decided to stay put for the time being, saying that income from playing second-rate teams would not justify the travel expenses. Next on the docket for the club was the decision on a name that the people of Newcastle could rally behind. Suggested names included the 1892 Newcastle, the Newcastle Rangers, Newcastle City, and City of Newcastle. Ultimately, Newcastle adopted its final name on December 9th of 1892. I kind of would have liked Newcastle Rangers. I don't know why. There's there's something about, like, those UK... I mean, I mean, you have Rangers itself, you know, the, the right. famous club from Scotland. But, yeah, like, Rangers or Wanderers. Uh, like, there's... Oh, man, some of those uh, football names are just super cool. But, you know, uh, yeah, you know... That, uh, Newcastle United kind of goes by a couple different names, you know, the uh, uh, like they have the magpies, they have like the famous like seahorses on their crest. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a uh, interesting history there. And, and man, some of those names are super, super cool. I would love it. You know how they have some of those uh, fantasy uh Kind of, uh, they they create like soccer apparel and whatnot. I would right. love it if like a company was able to make like some of like a Newcastle kit with some of those like uh, proposed names. That'd be kind of neat. Uh, and just yeah, there you know, are kind of be there like is actually if. the uh, there is actually the Newcastle Jets who play in the Australian Football League as well. That's very true. <laughs> but sort of moving on, um, you know, so. As we were kind of saying earlier, uh, this is a team that's going through a renaissance. And the thing is, like, there's a lot of hipster cred that you can build uh, by being a Newcastle fan. And that's mostly because uh, this club's fame really sort of dates back to the early 1900s. I mean, that is when they just had a super huge heyday. And ever since, like, it's just been up and down for them. But their early success uh, is is sort of defined by uh, that 
you know, the fact that it was so early. So uh, the thing about following Newcastle United is that the team hasn't tasted significant success from since 1969. Uh, this, Like I said, this is great for building hipster credibility, but it's not great for getting wrapped up in preseason hype if you're a U- Newcastle United fan. Uh, as we said earlier, this team has gathered an impressive set of silverware. Unfortunately, most of those t- trophies date back to the early 1900s. Uh, between 1904 and 1910, this team was in rarefied air. Therefore, think of the likes of uh, this decade's Liverpool, Manchester City, and Chelsea. Uh, that's how dominate, dominant Newcastle United was uh, during this period. Uh, the team would have a s- solid runs at uh, the FA Cup in the 1920s, but they would eventually fall to the second division after the 1932 season. The 1930s would define Newcastle United as a floundering club. In fact, they nearly flirted with uh, falling further after 1938, but they were spared on goal difference. Eventually, the club would regain entry into the first division in 1949, and they would uh, see success in the FA Cup tournament in the 50s. Uh, Newcastle United won three FA Cups in five years, but they fell to the second division again in 1961. You're going to be seeing a pattern here. Uh, And that pattern (laughs) is what the Newcastle United faithful dealt with for decades. Uh, In 1992, the club uh, elected John Hall as the chairman, uh, and he helped the team avoid relegation. In fact, Newcastle would gain promotion into the newly established Premier League the next season. And so as we kind of get into, yeah, this this brand new uh, Premier League and sort of uh, later on in kind of like the early to mid to, to uh, 2000s, uh, a, a figure would come along and sort of, you know, try to bring Newcastle United into something uh, I guess a yeah. new generation for the club. But, you know, what what can you say about that? Yeah. So, I mean. We have to, I've always thought as sort of the late 90s, the early 2000s was sort of the golden era of the Premier League. Um, that was the era where you had the really, the really big name stars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's England. It's for one thing, it's England's greatest generation uh, until maybe now. Yeah. Um, you know, you had your Jared, your Lampards, your, yeah, your Scolzies, your Rooney. Well, not Rooney. It Beckham's all those guys. Alan Shearer coming up, Castle Man, and uh, yeah, and then we have Alan Shearer, who was, you know, born upon Tyne, Newcastle upon Tyne, a local lad who is also known as the Premier League's highest scorer ever. I think he's got, I think he scored two hundred and six goals for Newcastle in about ten years, um, which is an amazing feat to have. He's 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 actually going to keep that record a little bit longer now that Harry Kane has left. Uh-huh. Um, so knowing knowing Holland, Holland might break it in like four <laughs> years, but boy, we never know. Yep. Um, but for now, that record is his. Um, so in a way, it will forever be Blackburn's and Newcastle's and Southampton's, I believe. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he was he was the hero. He captained them to two FA Cup. Uh, finals didn't win either of them, but at the time, that's still a great feat. And yeah, he will forever be a club legend for them. But this brought in 
after he left Newcastle in 2006, the next year brought another figure who I don't think we can really say is a, <laughs> is a hero. And 2007 was the Mike Ashley era where Newcastle had hired Sam Allardyce and the club's full sale to English retail magnate Mike Ashley. The next 10 years would be a very challenging time for the club. And carousel of coaching changes would be punctuated by drops into the EFL championship. Newcastle would manage to return to the Premier League each time, but the club was hamstrung by its mercurial owner. I believe they were actually relegated in 2009, and then they were relegated again in 2016. And I remember my roommate was a Newcastle fan, mm. and uh, he was not someone who actually, well, if he's listening, he's going to be pissed, but <laughs> he was someone who did not stick with the club when they went down, let's put it that way. Oh, but, no. Yeah, he went and became a Chelsea fan when they went down, and I sort of lost a little bit of respect. No, really? <laughs> Yep, yep. Have not forgiven him for that one. Uh, I think. Uh, I think one evening in college, I had a bit too much to drink, and I burnt his Chelsea flag in the backyard. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, look, you know, uh, I, I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I. It felt like the right thing to yeah. do for humanity's sake. Yep. <laughs> but moving, continuing on with uh, life under Mike Ashley, the life of. A Newcastle manager at the time could be summed up with the quote by Kevin Keegan, who led the club for only one season back in 2008. His quote was, It's my opinion that a manager must have the right to manage and that clubs should not impose upon any manager, any player that he does not want. That was just one quote to signify what kind of what kind of situation that they were dealing in. They really had someone that did not want to spend money. And mm-hmm. was trying to bring in players for the commercial benefit. Yeah. Sounds very familiar to sorry, Manchester United fan. <laughs> um, legendary Spanish football manager as well, Rafa Benitez, took over duties in March of 2016 to save the club from relegation. Despite his leadership and a solid unbeaten streak, club ended up falling to the championship. He did stay on to bring the club back to the Premier League for the 2017-2018 season. Unfortunately, Benitez would step down the very next year at the expiration of his contract. Mike Ashley criticized Benitez following his departure, saying that Benitez's demands made it impossible for him to remain in charge. However, in an interview with The Athletic in December 2020, Benitez stated he was left no choice but to leave the role. Due to disagreements with Ashley, describing him as a businessman who I don't believe really cares about his team. I can also, uh, I can also yeah. <laughs> relate to that of owners <laughs> that don't care about their team. It makes it very, it makes it very difficult for your club to, to really go anywhere. Yeah. Um, especially when you're stuck in this stagnant, you know, this is all, this is all we're spending. Um, it's it's you're not getting any sort of input in from your owner any sort of cash injection it's like limbo and it's it, it so i guess if we were to put this in like nfl terms this would be classic cleveland browns um of of a team yes. where like it is just as long as you know this team can uh just 
function essentially or or maintain some sort of business sense like that's that's all that matters this is also something happening with dc united right now with an ownership group that uh does not want to spend or or they lack a certain bit think of any team in any league that is just a classic ambitionless uh unfocused kind of team and that's that was kind of like those uh you know 2000s to you know early or late you know 2010s uh type of situation just for years and years and years you know it was like mid table is a okay if we fall to the championship, we have enough where we can get right back up the next season. And it's just, it, it, I I feel for Newcastle fans and I, I sort of, I you know what, I'm not too mad about them, you know, sort of uh, being, you know, kind of uh, throwing their weight around at the top of the table right. or, or That's, you know, sort of like middle of the table right now, but like, you know, making, making some moves and, and getting some wins right now. Yeah, that's that's something I it just sort of came in my head about, you know, they don't owners not really caring if their club goes down because they know they'll probably survive. It made me think about our episode um talking about, you know, Premier League and parachute payments to clubs when they go down. Yeah. That, you know, and if they're a club that has some money, like mm-hmm. you know, you'd look at Norwich City, um, who Go, seem to go down and come up every single year yes. um, because they get the parachute payments. So like, why should the owner really care? Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's like no ambition whatsoever. That, and that's, that's the life of football right there. It's, it's so weird, but you know, uh, after 14 years of an up and down ride for Newcastle, for the, uh, Newcastle United faithful, Mike Ashley finally sold the club for around 305 million pounds. Uh, the buy was completed by a consortium that included Saudi Arabia's, uh, public investment fund, uh, RB Sports and Media, and PCP Capital Partners. Uh, Eddie Howe was appointed the manager in November 2021 uh, and guided the club to an 11th place finish after a run of 12 wins in their final 18 games. The Magpies made a sig- uh, made a significant record of being uh, the first team in Premier League history to avoid relegation after not winning a single game for their first 14 games of the season. That is half of their season uh, that they did not That's crazy. win a single game. And then, yeah, I was talking, I was talking with my Newcastle friend and he was like, you know, like next month is the year anniversary of our first win. Wow. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's insane. And they did well. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to bring it up. I think their biggest win was the, the win that sort of sealed um, Arsenal's top four hopes. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they completely, it was like a complete turnaround from the way they looked before. Yeah. Um, and yeah, how they ended that season. It was like night and day. So, so as, as a North London faithful, uh, thank you, Newcastle. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Newcastle, he says. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, sort of uh, about Eddie, 
Howe. Uh, he is an English manager who served as a stalwart for AFC Bournemouth by making 250 uh, appearances for the club in the 90s and later again in the mid-2000s. Howe entered management in 2008 and helped Bournemouth uh, avoid relegation to the Conference National in 2009. He was the youngest manager in the Football League at the time. Amazingly, he helped the club gain promotion in his first year as a manager while starting at a minus 17-point deficit. Uh, That's insane. How, he, he's like Wayne Rooney. He's going to... That's, that's insane. The, the club on his back. Um, but how then moved on to spend a brief two-year spell at Burnley in the championship. Uh, then he returned to Bournemouth and helped the club climb from League One to the Premier... Or uh, from League One and then uh, eventually to the Premier League. Uh, in 2021, Eddie Howe signed with Newcastle United and has helped usher in an era of success for the Tyneside club. In 2022, uh, Howe led United to an 11th place finish in the Premier League, then helped the Magpies reach a top four finish in 2023, uh, securing a UEFA Champions League spot. It is their first entry into the competition since 2002. And even before sure. that, like their their last you know sort of period of success in the Champions League was 1997. Wow, that's insane. So, <laughs> as as far as like what you've uh sort of followed or or sort of seen with Newcastle, what what is your take? What's what's helped them uh sort of turn things around? Yeah, I think I think Eddie Howe is a massive part of it. Um Yeah. And I, I know that my Newcastle buddy Johnny doesn't want this, but I really want Eddie Howe to become the England manager after Gareth Southgate is gone. Um, yeah. I think he has amazing man management, and he's so good tactically. Um, yeah, I also and, think, and you know the thing about him is though, former defender for Bournemouth. Yeah. And it's, that that shows you with their defensive record that they showed last season. They mm-hmm. had, um, I think they had the third fewest goals allowed with, yeah. with only City and Arsenal, um, which is which is crazy if mm-hmm. you think about where they were a year before that. Um, you know, they you would think that with the Saudi investment fund or let's just call it the country of Saudi Arabia um, taking ownership. You would think that they would just go and buy all the Mbappes and, you know, all the top names, but they've actually done a really good job in their recruitment. Um, Yeah. We'll go go into their big signing this summer in a second, as there's a slight hiccup with that Uh, (laughs) unrelated to Newcastle, but um. You know, there. I remember when they had signed. Um, they had the MLS record, uh, Al Miron, which he's mm-hmm. he, he's so funny because he'll just like he'll have like some okay games, and then he'll just have a game where he just like blows up, yeah, um, and just hits like a twenty five foot rocket. I'm a really big fan of him. Um, mm-hmm. Being able, oh, that was something huge. Remember they they signed uh, Joe Linton. From yes. I can't remember which Bundesliga club it was. Might be Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, that could be wrong. Um, but he was a striker, and they tried playing him at striker, and it just was not working. Mm-hmm. 
And he slowly got morphed into this amazing box to box midfielder. Yeah. And he, yeah, he's been fantastic. You know, they let a long, long serving player, Maxi, uh, go to, or ASM go to, uh, Saudi Arabia, which, you know, they, they've been fine because they were able to bring in a young talent like Alexander Isak, who is yeah. um, an amazing Swedish striker who came over from Real Sociedad. Young they, kid too. Like he's, young kid. he's gonna, yeah. Like he's not, his, he's not his top. It's really funny. They also have, um, this is good to Eddie Howe and his Bournemouth roots. They also have Callum Wilson, who is a bit more of a veteran player now. I think he's turning 32, but he's still, he's still bagging in goals. Um, yeah. so when they don't have, they have Isak to come in and learn and start, but then, you know, they have Callum who is very intelligent in games and is, and it's going to be able to teach Isak as well. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing for me has been their defense, obviously with their defensive record, they've done really well with, you know, like I was saying, not just going out and buying all the top names, but they still have some, they still have some of their, their roots, uh, in that team, like two of the goal scorers against, um, against PSG were guys from Newcastle. Yeah. Which I love. I'm a really big fan of, uh, big Dan Byrne. <laughs> yep. locked, he locked up Mbappe. Um, and, and I would yeah. say, uh, a guy I wish Arsenal could have is Kieran Trippier. Oh my god, yeah. Like yeah, he's so solid. Uh, just just a uh, a great international player for England and then yeah, just a huge get for uh Newcastle. Yeah, and he could play anywhere. He's probably going to be naturally right back. He's probably going to play left back in the Euros. Um mm-hmm. considering England's got like all their left backs injured right now. Um yeah. So yeah, I mean he's an amazing player. They just signed um Sandro Tonali from AC yeah. Milan, which has been he's an amazing player. Um sort of t- sort of a people thought he was like Pirlo because he had the long wavy hair and uh he was Italian that played center mid for AC Milan, but he's more mm-hmm. like Gattuso. Um he's sort of very he's very good box to box and he he can throw a shoulder, which I really like about him. Um, but I mean, we kind of have to go into the sort of recent news about him as, as he may, well, he likely will be facing a ban for betting breaches while he was in Italy. I'm not quite sure how, so I'm not quite the, the one thing I don't know is I'm not quite sure how that translates when it was happening when he was in another league. Right. Um, but he has admitted that he has a gambling addiction Actually, the day that the report came out, he was he would people were photographing of him in a casino uh, while all this news is going out about him, you know, having all these betting charges. And it's like, dude, like not the place to be right now. His teammate, um, Fagioli, who was his teammate over at AC Milan, Mm -hmm. just uh, went through his went through his court case and has been banned from football for seven months which doesn't look great. It doesn't look great for yes. uh, Tonali. Um, 
So we're we're gonna have to see, but yeah, I'm interested to see how it translates over into a different league. Yes, and uh, it, you know, and it, it also uh, kind of stretches um, to a couple other players, and and one we've mentioned before on this show. Uh, one is uh, Nikola uh, Zelewski, and then Stephen El Sharawi, uh, who at one time was you know slated to be like one of the best like future best Ballinger haircut winners. best haircut best everything you know he was kind of like neymar before neymar but um you know uh yeah it's it's really wild like uh how how far this kind of goes and yeah like player a lot of players are getting wrapped up and you were saying kind of yeah before the show like uh you know he was like borrowing money from oh, teammates yeah his his to teammate this. so his teammate Fagioli um, the report I was reading was that his debt was so bad with betters. Uh, Fagioli, yeah, yeah. So I I don't know too much on Tonali. He, he Fagioli okay. did say that the person he got him into betting was Tonali. Oh, um, <laughs> like he snitched like immediately. Yeah, <laughs> so bad. Um, but he did say that his his betting was getting so bad that he actually wasn't able to like win money. The only thing he was able to do was pay off his debt. Oh, geez. And he had gone to the point where he was borrowing. He had borrowed something like 48,000 um, from teammates. Wow. For his betting habits. Um, so, yeah, I, he's, I think he's doing a treatment for it. And, yeah, he's seven months without football. Um, but the, the, this might be a topic that we look at in the future as – We've seen it happen with numerous players, like Daniel was saying. Yep. Um, we know the current the current ban for Ivan Tony over at Brentford, um, mm-hmm. who was betting on his own games in England, and he got a how long was his ban? Like eight months. Um, See, yeah, it, it was eight months. I I think it was shortened to eight months because he agreed to go into kind of a rehabilitation program, right? And so now he's been allowed to like train with the team and he should be coming back in a few months. Um, but yeah, I mean, it might be an interesting topic for us to do in the future because betting is huge in Europe. Yeah. Um, for those who have not been there, there is a, there is a bookie on every corner, basically, especially in England. So, yeah. So with that said, uh, you know, this is an exciting team uh, to follow and by the time this uh, episode comes out, it might be already past the point, but uh, this weekend, uh, Newcastle plays Crystal Palace on Saturday, uh, and then they will be resuming uh, Champions League play. Uh, on the 25th, they will be playing Dortmund, and, and I think that's where you're going to see whether or not, like, the PSG game was a flash in the pan. Uh, it would be wild if they pick up a, a win or a tie on this one, it would give them very firm footing uh, to make a run for the knockout stage. God, aren't they top of the group too? Yeah. It's like the worst group in their top of the group. Whereas we're in an easy group and we're in last. Yeah. Oh my God. I hate funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what? Good for them. I'm happy for them. Go on, get through the knockouts. 
Yep. <laughs> Go on. But, hey, you know, uh, uh, Champions League football, uh, it, it, you know, you've got the home and away le- games. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how everything shakes out. So uh, hopefully Newcastle keeps up. But anyways, uh, that is Newcastle United. Uh, I'm really glad to share that. And I guess now, if you, if you want, we can kind of uh, dive into the news. We've got uh, a serious topic, um, one that is near and dear to you. And then we get to talk some Euro football, uh, Euros, the, the European tournaments. So let's start with uh, that first story then. Yeah, of course, this is a bit more on the serious note. Um, everyone remembers the, of course, amazing and very exciting World Cup that was in Qatar. Um, near, wow, I guess nearly a year ago now. Yeah. Um, wow. So one thing to to just mention and to remind people is the amount of migrant workers that were there at the time. Now, a lot of those migrant workers have still not gone back to their native homes um a lot of them are still being held in qatar and there have been there have been many breaches of protection for migrant workers including wage theft um you know not unsafe work conditions unsafe work conditions uh not really habitable living conditions yeah a lot of these a lot of these uh, workers are being told that they have to wait for new work. Sometimes they're being told to wait for months. Um, and yeah, they're either not being paid at all or they're being severely underpaid. Now, neither Qatar or FIFA have provided any sort of remedy, including any sort of financial compensation who have faced to these migrant workers who have faced abuses. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been nothing that has been sent to the families that are back home in these countries. Now, considering that this this World Cup started in the middle of November and we are at the end of October, um, you know, this is something that people like Human Rights Watch have spoken on, but has not really been out in the public eye, and that's something we really think needs to come up to the top of the pile, especially towards FIFA as they have reaped in billions of dollars from the tournament. So, uh, Josemar football, uh, the website, uh, covered on October 11th about teenage world cup, uh, workers who are still trapped in Doha. The two worker worked as security guards, uh, during the world cup, almost a year later, they still haven't been paid and are trapped in a shelter in Doha, unable to return to their family, uh, in the Gambia. Um, so it is, uh, a, a paywalled story, but it is one, uh, worth checking out. And as far as Josemar goes, uh, they've been doing some really good like deep dive stories so uh important uh sort of uh story to kind of like keep an eye on uh because yeah the the world cup you know in in fifa it, it has a track record of being damaging um in in the uh, areas in which it takes place and the it's not just it's it doesn't just stretch to when it 
is happening, it also kind of has a knock on effect uh, down the line, depending on kind of like the uh, overall ethics of the country it takes place in. Um, but sort of going into uh, lighter stories here. Um, big, big news happened with uh, Manchester United uh, kind of just a couple of days ago. And uh, I, I think it's appropriate that you sort of take this over. Yeah. Um, well, I guess Qatar is still sort of yeah. <laughs> involved in this, but in a different way. They have uh, the bid from, I'll never get his name, Sheik Jassim mm-hmm. is the shorter name to put it, um, who is an investment banker and is part of the Qatari royal family, has pulled out of his full sale bid for Manchester United and will no longer be taking part. It does look, however, that a minority share of the football club will be sold to Britain's second wealthiest man, uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who is is a boyhood um, Manchester United fan. It looks like the stake is for 25% of the club. Um, this would give him... There are still details on whether he's going to be getting Class A or Class B she- shares. Um, for those who don't know, Manchester United is a publicly traded, uh, mm-hmm. publicly traded club, or I mean, I guess you could call it a product at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, yep. So Class A shares are sort of the the minority power shares. Um, so he could have twenty five percent of those Class B shares, which are owned by the Glazer family. Um, also, you know, horrible group of people, um, have all the controlling power and decision-making over at the club. What Jim Ratcliffe wants to do is to buy some of the, the shares that give him, uh, sporting control over the club. He's able to put in some cash and a little bit of infrastructure into the club as well. Uh, but the Glazers are able to basically reap the commercial benefits of the club. Um, it's kind of, how do I put it? It's kind of good, but it's also pretty bad. Uh-huh. Um, so the good thing is, is that we wouldn't have to rely on the Glazers to inject money into the club, which they have never done ever. Uh, they yeah. bought the club in 2006. It's been, or 2005, 2006. It's been nearly 20 years. They have never put any money into the club. Um, so that's a positive. That we really like. The bad news of it is the Glazers still own 75%. Um, I can promise you that unless, <laughs> I guess the Glazers are Man United fans themselves. Uh-huh. So. of Man United fans do not want the Glazers to have any ownership of the club. Um, The big issue with this is if, you know, if you're a Glazer hater, which a lot of us are, unless you you don't support Man United, then you might like them. um, Is that if Jim Ratcliffe comes in and he puts money into the club and they start doing really well, um, this is a guy who owns two other teams. He's the CEO of a massive um, chemical 
company called Ineos, um, who are big sponsors for sport teams as well as Formula One yeah. and all over. Um, so there's there's a lot of cash in, in the back. He's got sporting management history. Um, even though with Nice, it's like kind of gone okay. So Manchester United is a big is a big test room, but he is a childhood fan and would would put in his best. So if it does go well and the club does do better, that's great for the Glazers because they're reaping the benefits of that. Yeah. If he doesn't do well, well, then it's not the Glazers' fault, is it? It's now his fault. Um, they don't it, have to take the responsibility because they aren't in charge of the football portion of the club anymore. Yeah, and he's really just kind of coming in at a minority stake. It's twenty five percent. So twenty five. Yeah. Uh, that I man. <laughs> I, you know. You know what? You know what it is. This is yeah. this is how I I explained it to a couple friends. I said it's sort of like when people are fighting for minimum wage. Uh-huh. They say raise the minimum wage, raise the minimum wage. We've been fighting, we've been fighting. They fight for a year and they get, you know, they're like, you know what? Fine, we're gonna raise the minimum wage a dollar. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> and, okay. And it'll hit it'll <laughs> hit twenty dollars in ten years. Yeah, that's that's yeah. oh boy. And it's like we gave you what you wanted. Yeah, kind of. Kind it's like of. we kind of gave you we get we gave you a little bit more money. Uh, we gave you a little <laughs> bit more control, but we're also still just you know going to take the the larger share of everything, and we're not going to put in any effort whatsoever for your general well being. Um, so that's that's kind of the way I see it. So in short, the the Manchester United uh, story or situation so far. Is just sucking teeth emoji. That's that's where things yeah. are right now. That's yeah, just, I don't. They, so uh, we're recording on a <laughs> we're recording on a Thursday. Yeah, and they had their board meeting this morning. Um, oh, fun fact. <laughs> fun fact. I meant to send this to you this morning. Uh huh. But a leaked picture of like the board meeting, like who's attending. So they had all the they had all the attendees. It was like Avram Glazer, yeah, Joel Glazer, um, Patrick Stewart, who's like a director, Richard Arnold, who's like oh, our director funny. of football. And so that got leaked, but then it was like if attending, and it was like yes, yes, tentative. And dude, yeah. you know what? Do you know what our director of football put? <laughs> he put if there is a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I was like, uh, what are you doing? Best yes, and brightest so. at the Theater of Dreams right now. <laughs> it was like, yes, yes, tentative, if there was a buffet. That's <laughs> hilarious. Anyway, so they had a board meeting about it today. Um, not fully sure on what's coming out of that, uh, but they did discuss it, apparently. Mm-hmm. That was on the docket. Um, I don't expect anything. Some, some fans are like, oh, you know, they replay Sheffield United this weekend and they're like, this will be Jim Ratcliffe's first game in control. Doubt it. Um, this yeah. could take months. This could take months. I hopefully it won't take another year since they, they announced last November, they were looking at, um, they were looking at opportunities. So it's been a year since that. 
So hopefully it doesn't take another year for him to actually come in, but you never know with these guys. They're a bunch of bloodsuckers. So Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I'm feeling. Uh, um so with with that uh all said, um Euros are coming up and in, in last op- topic of the show. Uh, you know, I think, I think all pretenses aside, uh, it's going to come down to France or Italy and, or not France, France or England. Italy, Italy is not, yeah, forget, forget, <laughs> Italy. forget Italy. They're so 2020. Oh, they're so like, oh, not even. They're like 2014. Uh, that's <laughs> like, it's like, it so weird. It's it's weird because like they they I'm still mad about that game. I'm just uh-huh. I'm just going ugh ugh. Yeah, like they won they won that that 2020 year final. They did. That's on true. Penalties. They won that. Yeah, great. But like yeah. it it didn't feel like they deserved it. It really true. didn't. Um. Yeah, this is sort of um Gareth Gareth Southgate's last 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 chance. Yeah. Um. I like from from what I've talked about with people, people are like, he's not good. Like we should have lost the job already. Uh-huh. Um, but it's sort of like because how bad the England team was in the 2010s, and like the weird rotation of managers. Like we had we had Sven Eriksson, um, the yeah, the assistant manager for me and I right now. Yep. Um, sorry, Alex Ferguson's old um, assistant. Then we had Sam Allardyce, who had the job for two months until he he was recorded saying the best way to like pay off referees, um, uh-huh. which you know always goes down well. Um, and then Southgate sort of got it on a technicality. He didn't really have any success behind it, but he's he's quite good at man management and he's very good at protecting his players. Right. Um, but yeah, this is sort of the last chance. So I would think that France are probably the favorites. England's yeah, I, probably top four. Yes, they're just um, yeah, uh, they're they're undefeated in qualifying, and they are uh, just they're stacked on every single level. Uh, obviously, you know, came down to penalties in the uh last world cup but you know they were champions before and uh they've got a team that's just absolutely uh killing it you know obviously you have uh Olivier Giroud who can play any position literally uh keeper and striker uh oh, yeah. Mbappe <laughs> and Golo Kanté uh and and Karim Benzema so like it's just uh, they're a team that uh is just full of worldies, and I I don't know. I'm not convinced that that England. I'm, I'd say the one the one thing that might be good in terms of not wanting France to win is like you think of like like you said, Conte and Benzema, right? Uh huh. So they're now they're now playing in Saudi. Yeah. Right. So you wonder if I think it's I think that coach is still Didier Deschamps. Um, mm-hmm. if if maybe they're like they could be going they could be starting to go through a germany process of like transitioning generation um conte's 34 benzema's is like 37 38 
you know, but they they got other guys like Rabio. Um, they have Auar, also mm-hmm. known as the King of Vowels. His name was spelled A O U A R. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so you kind of wonder, you know, France always has good players. They they always have good players. They've been good since the dawn of time. Um, but, you know, the thing about the Euros though is that it, it's a little bit of a showcase of like lesser known nations. So you know, obviously, right. uh, with not the uh, 2020 but the 2018 Euros, uh, you had Iceland. Uh, kind of become the the sort I of remember that world world's club or world's uh team there and everyone kind of got swept up into that they they uh, knocked us out and then the entire yep. mls decided to copy doing the viking clap <laughs> yes but, so um, irritating <laughs> so so you know there's there's a couple different icelands to uh sort of check out um but one you of know, which you know who's the big team oh sorry you might just be about to say them uh albania yes yes, yes. so they are uh managed by a former arsenal man uh and barcelona man uh silvino uh they uh have no a way. game coming up against moldova and they've been kind of just rolling it uh they beat uh the uh, czech republic three nothing uh they uh just have been running wild and uh they they just need to uh, score a win against uh, Moldova uh, this in, next right? week, and then they're in. So I think I think even they just have to tie, and like I think they're in. So uh, yeah, good for them. Uh, I'm kind of uh, nice. looking forward to seeing that, especially uh, with that Arsenal connection. Do you uh, one one other team that I'm wondering who have uh-huh. been, who have won all of their qualifying games? Do you think this is a uh, this could be Portugal's last Ronaldo ride? Oh, it's got to be. Uh, well, you know, it's it's the last Ronaldo ride, but um, Portugal. I mean, you know, I I think they're a team that that I think has planned beyond Ronaldo, and I they could possibly uh, stay up there. Um, yeah, right. especially uh, under Roberto Martinez. So, like, yeah, they, I think they're a solid squad. Uh, for the future, and and they could, yeah. Uh, at a certain point, it might be Cristiano who, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't think it will ever no, be that, exactly. but <laughs> yeah, we'll see. They'll probably make him coach. Let's. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I remember he coached just, that that year I, final. That was yeah, so I, funny. I, I just love you know sort of taking digs at Ronaldo and Fair. making fans mad. So. <laughs> Oh, Ronaldo. Oh, boy. Guy. <laughs> oh, there's a couple other adjectives, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to go into all this now. No, we, we don't. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, uh, I think that pretty much uh, closes us out. We, we've we uh, come up to, you know, just about closing time here, and... I think I think we're on a solid schedule now. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I don't want to jinx it, or I don't want to like uh, count count eggs before the chickens or anything like that. But like I I think we're we're doing some solid work here, and I I would say you know I I sort of pitched it to you, but I think going into 
I, well, you had a couple other names that popped up, like journeyman uh, managers or sort of like right. cult managers who like real oh, insufferable soccer boys like can't help but chirp about um, all the time. <laughs> That's so, me. <laughs> yeah. I, so, like, I think Rafa Benitez, you know, we we touched a little bit on him today. That'd be cool. But he's been all over the place. Uh, an Argentinian Argentinian uh, manager, uh, Bielsa, uh, is another solid pick. And so we, I think, if if I may make a decision here, I think Benitez yeah, would be a solid little uh, episode yeah, next time. I'd love time. that. I'd cool. love that because I would love to go... Um, I'd love to go through his time at Liverpool and then remember he coached Everton. Yeah. For, for, yeah. A, f- a little very bit. brief, pr- very brief period, but like, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Juicy. Yeah. It's so awesome. I'm, I'm so in for that. All right. Well then, uh, Tom, where can get the good folks find you? Yeah. So guys, you can find me on Instagram at T I Ferguson 94. And then of course on, we're still calling it Twitter. You can find me at Snitch McConnell. And Daniel, where can the good people find you? And where can they find the Artful Nutmeg? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at Daniel605Wise and on Instagram at Professor SDFC. Uh, the Artful Nutmeg can be found on Twitter and on Instagram at The Artful Nutmeg. Um, thank you to all who listen to our show and support us. Remember to be well and watch more soccer.